In honor of Father's Day, I'm uh, taking a break from Romans. We will be back in Romans next week. But today we are indeed in Job uh, chapter 1. I believe that most dads want to be good fathers. When we think of a good father, perhaps people like Charles Engels of Little House on the Prairie, or if you're old enough, a Ward Cleaver on Leave it to Beaver may come to mind. But uh, as you think of a good father, I I wonder what concerns you think a good father might have. For example, a good father is concerned about spending time with his children. A good father is concerned with providing the needs of his children. A good father is concerned with emotionally supporting his children. A good uh, father is providing opportunities for his children to grow and experience decision-making. He is preparing his children for life. This morning, my thought is that I don't want us to be content with merely being a good father, as the world thinks about a good father. But rather, my challenge to you this morning is that we would be godly, fathers, godly fathers, which encompasses everything that's involved with being a good father and yet is distinct in the sense that it is so much greater than, so much higher than the world's thought of a good father. A godly father will be all that a good father ought to be and more. And it is the and more that we are going to be focusing upon this morning. As I said, a good father might be like a Charles Engels or a Ward Cleaver. A godly father is like Job. So this morning, we are going to consider the concerns of a godly father as evidenced in the life of Job. The concerns of a godly father as evidenced in the life of Job. So what are the concerns of a godly father? Well, first... A godly father is concerned with his own personal relationship to the Lord. One cannot be a godly father without first being godly himself. Being a godly father is more than just dropping your children off for Sunday school and then going to breakfast and home to watch TV until it's time to pick them up again. A godly father isn't just concerned about his Children's walk with the Lord. A godly father is concerned about his own walk with the Lord. In Job chapter 1 verse 1, there are four different words or phrases used to describe Job's godliness. And I want to look at those briefly. The first in Job chapter 1 is that Job was blameless. To be blameless is to be perfect But to be perfect is not to be sinless. Uh, Job, though a righteous man, though righteous more than anyone on the face of the earth, he still was not sinless. But he was complete. He was sound. Uh, He was a person of integrity. I love that word, integrity, uh, for it's a word picture. Uh, We think of integrity oftentimes in terms of, of structure. A bridge that is 
a bridge of integrity means that it, it doesn't have any cracks in it. It's not going to fall. It is sound. It is whole. It is trustworthy. You can cross that bridge and it will stand. Job was a person of integrity. There were no glaring cracks in his life. It was sound. It was, it was steadfast. It was reliable. The second word described Job was the fact that he was upright. To be upright is to be morally straight, to be consistent. Job was the kind of person that the Pharisees tried to present themselves as being. But Job did not merely want to appear to be spiritual. He wasn't just concerned with how others viewed him. He actually wanted to be spiritual. There was authenticity. There was a genuineness to his faith and his relationship with God. So inwardly, he was a person who was upright. Thirdly, he feared God, which means he had a holy reverence for God. He took delight and pleasure in worshiping and pleasing and serving God. His motivation for obedience and service to God was solely the honor and glory of God, and not just his own personal blessing and well-being, which is at the very heart of this test that is going to be established by Satan. Satan says the only reason that he serves you is because of what you have done for him. But God knew that Job served God out of a true desire to worship and to honor and to set God apart. And then fourthly, it says of Job in Job chapter one, verse one, that he turned away from evil. King James says he shunned evil. It is to turn away from evil with abhorrence. It is that so much that he could not even look at it. He, he just hated evil. He was not drawn to it in any way. You see, there was, there was no moral imperfection in which inwardly he wished that he could do this evil and he was fighting it. No, he had such a, a godliness, such a character that evil was repulsive to him. He found no pleasure in it. He, he found no delight. It was that moral character, those four attributes that were enabling for Job to resist all of the difficulties and hardships that he was about to face. Job's godliness was the foundation of his life. And those characteristics are repeated in the discussion between Job, uh, excuse me, between God and Satan. So this foundation for his life provided three benefits. First, Job was spiritually prepared for the personal trials that he would face. Many difficulties were gonna come into his life at the hand of the evil one. But Job, because of his character, Job, because of his relationship, Job, because of his godliness, would withstand those trials. Secondly, Job was spiritually prepared to be a godly leader in his home. If you look at Job chapter two, verse nine, we have this dialogue between Job and his wife after Job had lost everything, he lost all his possessions, 
and of course lost his children as well. All of his children died. In Job chapter 2, verse 9, it says, Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and receive not evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Now, as you think about that verse, remember that Job's wife suffered everything at this point that Job had suffered. She had gone through the same ordeals, the same trials. She lost everything she had. She lost her children. We can readily understand her spiritual struggles. However, Job remained strong and sought to minister to his wife. Now, the words may seem harsh and uncaring as you read them, but he was seeking to point out the inappropriateness of her response. She was talking like a non-believer. When it says in verse uh, 10 of Job chapter 2, you speak as one of the foolish women, he's saying you're speaking like a non-believer. For the scripture says the fool is said in his heart, there is no God. He is saying at this point, you are acting as though God is not sovereign. You are acting as though God does not love us. You are acting in accordance with the way of the world, as opposed to a person of faith. My point to you is that, that Job was ready and able to provide spiritual leadership in his home. Thirdly, Job was spiritually prepared to withstand the bad advice of his Christian friends. Uh, if you know the story of Job, you know that uh, the next trial in his life is his own physical sufferings. And he has three friends that come and try to console him in their sufferings. And they are religious friends. They are people who are coming to intend to speak for God. But they were not saying the things that were right. But Job, in his spiritual maturity, was able to withstand the bad advice of Christian friends. And unfortunately, sometimes Christians even give us bad advice in our dealings with our own children. Sometimes Christians give us bad advice even with dealing with our marriages, about divorce, and about so many other things. A godly individual needs that preparation of life to be able to know what indeed is the right response. What is the godly response? What is the Christian response? And despite even Christians who may not give us the best advice in the world know what is the right thing to do and does it. So Job's spiritual life was foundational to who he was and prepared him for all that life was going to throw at him and his family. So I submit to you the first concern of a godly father is the development of one's own relationship to Jesus Christ. If we are going to be the leaders that we ought to be in our family, if we are going to provide the instruction that our family needs, if we are going to be able to respond to all the trials and difficulties of life, we need to be prepared in our own hearts and minds concerning who the person of God is. What is God like? Who is this God that we deal with? in everyday circumstances. 
Job knew his God. Secondly, and this is by far the longest point, a godly father is concerned with the spiritual well-being of his children. Let me say that again. A godly father is concerned with the spiritual well-being of his, of his children. Good fathers are concerned about a lot of things. A good father may want his children to be well-rounded, may want his children to excel academically, perhaps be a good athlete or a good musician. He wants them to have good social skills. And we can imagine that a good father will make an awful lot of sacrifices in order to achieve these good things in the life of his children. He wants them to have opportunities and experiences that will be profitable and beneficial to them. But a godly father, in addition to all those concerns, will maintain as the highest priority, and that's the key, the highest priority will be the spiritual well-being and equipping of their children. There will be nothing more important as a father thinks of their children than their walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. A concern for their spiritual well-being of their children is first and foremost in the mind of a godly father. So what are those concerns? What is that well-being? Now we have a number of depictions in the way in which Job was concerned for his children's spiritual well-being and equipping. Look with me at Job chapter 1, verse 5. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. In our text, the Bible describes a party that would take place on an habitual basis. It appears that it was probably a birthday party celebrated over a period of seven days. And they would gather together in each other's house, the house of the one whose birthday it was, and they would celebrate. And we find in this passage Job's concerns in the middle of that celebration. The first is that Job's concern for the spiritual well-being of his children was communicated to them. Verse 5. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that first Job would send and sanctify them. So he would send a message to them. He would deliver in some way, probably by means of a servant, that he was sanctifying them, that he was praying for them, that he was going to be offering sacrifices for them. He communicated to his children his spiritual concern for them. He let them know that he was praying for them 
that he was offering sacrifices for them, that he was concerned about their spiritual well-being. In our questions for those individuals that dedicated their children this morning, one question read as follows. Will you teach your children as soon as your children are able to understand the nature and purpose of this dedication? Will you communicate to your children that you dedicated them and tell them why? One of the things that we need to do as a godly parent is to communicate to our children the very fact that our highest priority for them is their spiritual walk with the Lord. We need to make them aware that for us, the most important thing for our children is that they would know the Lord Jesus Christ and desire to serve him. Of all the things we could want for our children, all the well-being, all the goodness in life, prosperity, health, and we go on and on, but of all the things that would thrill our hearts the most and all the things that would hurt us the most has to do with their spiritual life and their well-being. And we need to communicate that to them so that they know that for us the very most important thing for them is that they know Christ and they love him and serve him. The second area of Job's concern for the spiritual well-being of his children is evidenced in the fact that it held a high priority in his life. Notice in verse 5. And when the days of feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning. Rise early in the morning. How often it is that we have good intentions in fostering the spiritual development of our children. We make resolutions, perhaps even as, at services such as this, this one. We, we plan we have good intentions of rearing our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We are convinced in our own hearts and minds that we should be praying for our children. We think that it's important to be having family devotions and to be sharing God's word with our children. But the question is not just what do we inwardly believe and are convinced of, but what do we actually do? How do we carry that out? How do we manifest that? Do we, in fact, pray? Do we pray regularly for our children? Do we, in fact, instruct them in the word of God? Do they hear us talk about God? And, of course, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, it says, from your down-sitting to your uprising, all day long throughout the day, do our children hear from us the relevance of our faith? Are they able to apply the truth of God to their own hearts and minds? For Job, it was a priority. He rose up early in order to be praying and offering these sacrifices for his children. Third, Job's concern for the spiritual well-being of his children extended to each and every one of his children. He had a large family seven sons and three daughters. And it tells us in verse five, in the middle of that verse, where it says that he would rise early in the morning 
and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. Meaning that he was offering a sacrifice for each and every one of his children. Not just the child whose birthday it was. He was offering sacrifices for every child that day. For each of his children. Uh, I would say to you that it's important that we do not have any spiritual favorites. That uh, as time goes on or as we get more children, as life gets more complex, that we are sure that each and every one of our children have the, the same opportunities. I grew up in a, in a Christian home, had very godly parents, and uh, my brother and I are nine years apart. But the home that I grew up in was different than the home that my brother grew up in. My parents had a spiritual concern during the period of their life in which I was growing up that was different in the time that my brother was growing up. I had opportunities spiritually that he did not. It's important that we are manifesting a godly spiritual concern for each and every one of our children, no matter how many we have. And that we are doing good diligence in meeting the spiritual needs of our children, even as times and circumstances in our own lives change. And they do over a period of time. May we be consistent. Consistent whether or not we have a lot or a little. Job was the richest man on the face of the earth. Wasn't always the richest man. But yet he had the same concerns when he was rich and when he wasn't. We need to be careful that our circumstances in life don't dictate that all of a sudden our spiritual priorities wane because of what's going on in our own lives, because of how busy we are, because of the demands of work, because of the demands of pleasure, because of the opportunities that are before us. But we are careful that each of our children have these same wonderful spiritual opportunities. Next, fourthly, Job's concern for the spiritual well-being of his children continued even when seemingly they were doing fine in their relationship to God. Now notice verse 5. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning, and would offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. Now this, for Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Job was concerned not just with their outward conformity to the word of God. He was concerned about what was going on in their hearts. It's, it's important to understand that as far as Job was concerned, his children were living very godly lives. His children outwardly were doing everything that he would expect his children to do. But yet, Job was concerned that perhaps inwardly, they weren't in the relationship with God that they ought to be. And so he prayed for them. 
and was concerned about their spiritual well-being, even though everything seemed to be going just fine outwardly. See, a godly parent doesn't relax when their children make a profession of faith. A godly parent doesn't just say, wow, they're saved. A godly parent is not satisfied when they see their children desire to to love and serve and worship God. When they see them now older, on their own, making wise decisions, still faithful, still going to church, teaching their own children about the things of God, and involved in service to God, um, teaching Sunday school, being an elder, being a deacon, being in full-time ministry, whatever the case. No matter how outwardly things seem to be going well, a godly father recognizes that there's still temptation. There are still adversaries. The evil one is still at work. And so we continue to pray for our children, even when outwardly everything seems to be going fine. For we know that inwardly the evil one can have his inroad, have his influence, have his way in their lives. Next, Job's spiritual well-being for his children was habitual. Notice the end of verse five. It says, for Job said, it may be my children have sinned and turned God in their hearts. Uh, Thus, Job did continually. And how he translates that, this was his regular custom. Job was consistent in the way in which he ministered to and cared for his spiritual children's well-being. This he did on a regular basis. Um, It's important for us not to run spiritually hot and spiritually cold, uh, that we are consistent in the care that we provide for our children. And then lastly, in this particular area of our message, Job's Concern for the spiritual well-being of his children continued even after they were grown and had moved out of the house. For notice verse 4. It says, His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each son, uh, of each one on his day. Verse 13. And there was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. So notice that at least at this point, the sons have moved out. The sons are in their own home. And on this particular occasion, they are in the home of his eldest son. And the brothers and sisters have traveled to his house. My point is, Job's children are adults. Job's children are out on their own. Job's children have established their own homes. And Job is still praying, still interceding, still concerned for them. Fatherhood and its privileges and responsibilities don't end when our children marry. Our relationship to them ends, 
They are to leave father and mother and they are to cleave unto their spouse. And so our relationship is different once they're married and out of the house than when they're at home, to be sure. But don't miss the fact that though the relationship is different, the spiritual concern should never end. We should be praying for them till the day that they die. I've often said my, my father was very concerned about uh, my own relationship with the Lord, and he was delighted when I uh, said that I wanted to be a pastor. And my father made it a habit for many, many years of calling me on a Saturday night and say, I just want you to know I'm praying for you as you preach the word of tomorrow. Let me pray with you. He did that on a weekly basis for years. And that wasn't the only thing my, pro- my father prayed for. Never ends. Never ends. Whether you are a father, a grandfather, or a great-grandfather this morning, never cease praying and being concerned for your own children as well as your grandchildren, as well as your great-grandchildren. Continue in that concern. And then thirdly, and perhaps the most striking of them all, is that a godly father is concerned with keeping the place his children should occupy in his life in a proper perspective. Let me say that again. A godly father is concerned with keeping the place his children should occupy in his life in a proper perspective. So what is that proper perspective? Two things. Number one, to a godly father, his children are far more important than material possessions could ever be. Though Job was the richest man on the face of the earth, his riches did not take priority over his children. He loved his children more than he loved his riches. We know that from the order of the sufferings that Satan brought into Job's life. These sufferings, these hardships that Job was encountering were coming at the hand of Satan. And they were coming to demonstrate the reason that Job served God is because of what God did for him. And so Satan is bringing temptations into uh, Job's life that start from the lesser and move to the greater. And as you work your way through this text, you will find out, Job chapter 1 verse 13 and following, that it is all of his possessions are lost, all his material goods are lost, and the last thing that is taken from him are his children. Which means that his children were more important in his life than any of his material blessings and possessions. May our children always be more important than our work. May our children always be more important than the house that we own. 
May our children always be more important than the size of our bank account. May our children always be of greatest importance when it comes to all of our quote-unquote possessions. Of all that we have, our children should be dearest to us. Pastor Weller, that's with a W, was my pastor as a young person, and I served as his assistant uh, in my home church. And Pastor Weller was a part of the uh, ambulance system in Blandon, and so he'd be called out uh, when there were accidents and and other uh, emergencies. So he was serving on an ambulance crew, and he told me of an incident in which he came And he came upon the scene, and it was a horrific accident. It was absolutely terrible. And there was a woman that was caught, trapped in this automobile. It was totaled. And she had to be removed by the jaws of life. And as they were working on removing this woman from uh, the wreckage, her husband showed up. And when he got upon the scene, he started walking around the car. And he just, as he walked around the car, kept muttering, my new car, my new car, it was brand new. As his wife is being taken out of this wreck. Somehow, the guy's priorities were a little messed up. We have to be sure that we are concerned about our spiritual well-being of our children more than any possessions, and that we will not sacrifice that concern for any material good or any material advancement. But we hold on to that priority of our children's spiritual well-being as being the most important thing. Secondly, a godly father does not make his children more important than God. Saying it in another way, a godly father honors God before honoring his children. I said that that our children are more important than any possessions. But now let me say to you that God needs to be more important to us than our children. Let me say that again because it's so contrary to our world. God, in honoring him, must be more important than our children in honoring them. Let me give you two illustrations. First, a negative one. The negative illustration is found in the Bible in the person of Eli. Eli was a priest, and Eli had sons. And the sons also became priests because in that day, the priesthood was handed down uh, through the family. And so they became priests as Eli was a priest. But the sons were very ungodly. The sons did not have a personal relationship with God. The sons 
were committing all kinds of unbelievable uh, sinful acts that were taking place in conjunction with offering the sacrifices. They were actually having sexual relationship with some of the people that came to worship. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 29, God speaks to Samuel, who is to confront Eli. And he says this, Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribed for my dwelling? Why do you belittle my sacrifice? Why do you let your sons do these things? Why do you honor your sons more than me by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every day? Why do you put your sons before me? Why don't you remove them from the priesthood? Why don't you keep them from offering these sacrifices? Why don't you address these things in their life? A godly parent will address the sinful behaviors of their children. A godly parent will not sit idly by when their children are dishonoring God. But they're going to choose to honor God above their children. They are going to take a stand for God, even if it means taking a stand against their children even if they know their children aren't going to appreciate what they have to say. Job serves as a positive example of the way in which he honored God before his children. How do we know that? In Job's response to the death of his children, Satan was sure that if Job lost his children, that he'd curse God and die. That he would say, I want nothing to do with God. I don't want to honor him. I don't want to worship him. That, like I hear so many say, if that's what God is like, then I want nothing to do with him. If God would take my children then I'm done honoring and worshiping him. Job's response was, he said, naked have I come from my father's womb. Naked shall I return. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. May God be viewed as blessed May God be viewed as good. May God be viewed as honorable. The verse before it says, and Job worshiped God. Worshiped God. You know, I I don't say this lightly. For as I sit here, I know people that have had miscarriages. I know people whose children have turned out in ways that are very disappointing. I know Parents that have experienced a lot of grief and pain in their families. But a godly individual is one who worships God more than they worship their children. And they recognize God's goodness, even in the midst 
of hardship and difficulty. Do we honor our God more than our children? Not only in terms of reprimand, not only in terms of discipline, but even in the use of our tithes and offering. Do we acknowledge that what we have received belongs unto the Lord? Or do we use those tithes and offering to provide experiences and opportunities and delights and joys for our children? Do I, we put our family first? We think about opportunities and experience. Is it more important to go camping than it is to be concerned about their spiritual well-being and development? We need to be concerned that God is first. And it's understood to be that way. We must submit to God for our children. As I, I met with the Orendorfs this week in dedicating their children, I said to them, and I would have said it to anyone, so I'm not picking on them, I'm just illustrating. I pointed out one of the things that is said in this dedication service, and it was this. Do you dedicate yourselves, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, Inasmuch as God has given you these children, do you consecrate your children to God in his service and do you publicly acknowledge that in so doing, you are submitting yourself to God's will for your child, whatever it may involve? That's the most difficult aspect of being a godly father. Submitting yourself to God's will for your children, whatever it may involve. Our God is sovereign. God may call your children to move halfway around the world and be a missionary. God may call them to live in very difficult circumstances, in situations that are quite dangerous. Do you encourage your children to follow where God is leading? Or are you a hindrance? and tell them that you wish that they wouldn't go so far away or that you're concerned about their physical well-being. And of course, that ultimate submission to the will of God that we already talked about, and that is that God takes their life. I want you to think with me in closing about the fact that he lost, Job lost all of his children on the very same day. Ten children. Can you imagine what that would be like? He lost all his children on the very same day. But you ever think, think about this? Job lost his children immediately after having prayed for them. He rose up early in the morning. He had prayed. He had offered sacrifices. He had said, perhaps they have cursed God in their heart. And so he intervened for them. Before, before the destruction of their homes and the taking of their lives. 
What about those prayers? Were they ineffectual? Were they meaningless? How did Job respond to a God that he had just prayed to? That took away his children. And we already saw. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It could have been devastating. But let me put a different spin. Here is a father that had just been praying for his children. And as far as he knew that his children were in a great relationship with God, outwardly they're living for him. And he says, but inwardly maybe something is going on there. And he prays. And now his children are taken away. Those prayers now bring comfort. Those prayers now bring reassurance. How blessed for Job that as he thinks about the death of his children, he's not beating himself up and saying, only if I had prayed for them. Only if I had been concerned for them. Job knew that he was in a right relationship with God as far as his children concerned. And more important than that, or equally as important as that, Job knew that when his children died, they were in the presence of God. Job had communicated to his children the importance of faith. Job's children were walking with God. Job had just prayed for his children, and now his children were in the presence of God. I say to you this morning, if you don't know whether or not your children, if they were to die today, would be in the presence of God, by all means, talk to them. By all means, share your faith. By all means, communicate to them that of all the things in life and all of their achievements, no matter how great they are, that there is nothing more important to you than their spiritual well-being. That they know and love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. If there's any doubt in your mind about where your children are spiritually, talk to them today by any means possible and soon. Don't put it off. Don't put it off. Don't be afraid of putting them off. Honor the Lord. Talk to them the way that they need to be talked to. A spiritual, godly father is first concerned with their own personal relationship to the Lord. Secondly, concerned about their children's relationship to the Lord. And then thirdly, is concerned with keeping their children's place in the proper priority. Our children are more important than any physical, material, blessing, or advancement. But our children are not more important than God. And we need to submit to him.
in all his will. Let's pray. Almighty God, we, we thank you. We thank you for the privilege that many of us have as being fathers. I pray that we would not be content with being good fathers, but that we would be godly fathers. Help us in all of these concerns. Give us of your grace. Give us boldness. Give us confidence. Give us first and foremost a love for you. And help us to be consistent in our own walk with you for the benefit of our families, in our leadership, our instruction, in our prayers for our, our family. Oh Lord, help us to maintain uh, a spiritual concern for our children that's habitual, that's consistent, that reaches each and every one of them. And then Lord, help us maintain the highest priorities. May our children be more important than any material possession, our homes, our jobs, whatever the case may be. Lord, uh, help us to place them first. But Lord, under you. And may we submit to you for our children's will before you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.